Hello to everyone. Today we have a special topic for our audience on e-mobility and DSOs. I'm Anita, Policy Officer at EDSO, and today joined by Jan Kula, Business Development Expert at Chess Distributza, and Aaron Fishbone, Director of Public Policy at Greenway and Communication Chair at Torch Up Europe. Interesting enough, Aaron, you also have your own podcast, so uh, you're a professional. <laughs> yeah, but nice to be a guest on yours. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, good afternoon, everybody. All right, before we start, I would like to set the stage as we usually do in the beginning of the podcast. Our energy system is facing a major stress test. We know that the European Commission has set with the European Green Deal and the Fit for 55 package ambitious targets for 2030 and for 2050, where we want to become carbon neutral. Just to give you an idea, emissions from the transport sector are almost adding up to 20% of all greenhouse gas emissions of the European Union. So it is quite a significant share that would be reduced here. To tackle the emissions of the transport sector, EV integration and the increasingly electrification of private vehicles, but also company fleets and public transport shall help. The growing electricity demand requires that we carefully take into consideration what this could mean for the infrastructure, but also what potential electric vehicle charging has when it comes to flexibility needs. So if you put this in the context of today's discussion, there are two major players that have responsibility in EV integration, which are on the one hand the grid operators because they will and they are connecting power to charging points. And on the other hand, we have CPOs, charging point operators, which secure the permission to install infrastructure. As you will see in the discussion, but also implied already by my little introduction here, e-mobility can be seen as a big challenge, but also holds a lot of opportunities. Having said this, The major aim of our discussion is also to understand whether the grid can withstand the accelerated transition towards electrified transport. So this brings me to my first question, which goes to you, Aaron. What do you think about this? Is the grid ready and will it be able to perform with the increasing number of EV guilds dominating our streets in the future? Yeah, hi, thank you for that question. Maybe just quickly to introduce uh, the organizations I represent. First, Greenway. Uh, we are a charge point operator and e-mobility service provider in Central and Eastern Europe. So we work closely with network operators because we connect lots and lots of charging points of various powers and technology types to the grid behind the meter and in front of the meter. So very familiar with this topic. And Charge Up Europe is the industry association based in Brussels for the e-mobility charging infrastructure sector. And just uh, moments ago, maybe 15 minutes, as I look at the time, before we started recording this podcast, Charge Up Europe and a coalition of 21 charge point operators all across Europe, operating in every single member state, put out an open letter to express say, the importance of improving and streamlining the process and the speed by which char uh, charging stations are able to be connected to the grid and activated, because we acknowledge that this is a huge issue 
cross-cutting across all all member states and all industries, and was the really maybe the single largest bottleneck to the rapid and widespread rollout of charging infrastructure. So uh, that's some breaking news we're able to uh, to announce right here on this podcast. To your question. You know, a year ago, uh, Euroelectric, the other one of the other electricity associations, and Ernst and Young put out a report, and also the uh, ATSEA, the uh, Association of Automobile Manufacturers, also put out a report, and both of them looked at the issue of grid capacity and the role of e-mobility and what it would be, and both of them identified that right now it's fairly negligible. There's not really any major impacts to the grid and to capacity that comes from electric vehicles. But of course, by 2030, when there's millions and millions of more electric vehicles as there need to be and as we're working towards, the impact will grow. Now, there's any number of ways to address that impact. I mean, first of all, there's many different types of EV charging. You know, it's not the same as refueling a vehicle, right? There's vehicles that stay parked overnight or that stay parked in the office all day. There's heavy duty vehicles and more and more of them coming that either can be charged overnight or also that need to you know, recharged along the highways, along the 10T roads uh, in, in, in 45 minutes while the driver is resting. There's depot vehicles and fleet operators, you know, who need to recharge uh, either on schedule or again, can recharge overnight. So. There's many different types of electric vehicles and many different use cases for them, and they each have their own charging patterns. The nice thing is about electricity is that it's everywhere, and so we can take advantage of different powers in different times and different locations as well. But last, I want to say that you know EVs and EV charging, especially smart charging or managed charging, can be done in a way that reduces its overall impact on the grid. So while, yes, of course, millions and millions more electric vehicles, I mean, tens of millions more really by 2060, will have an impact, but that can be addressed and those peaks can be flattened when you have a surplus capacity on the grid, You know, whether it comes from renewables, wind and sun, or whether people are not using capacity so much. It can be done overnight regulations and business models can be built to incentivize people to charge at those times or in those locations where there's available capacity. And all of these things should be done together. So there's no single answer. Last point is investments to the grid will need to be done for many reasons beyond just e-mobility, right? Digitalization, weather upgrades, um, again, overall electrification of the system. So the two reports I mentioned both also said that the investments on the grid when done in this way would really be negligible around 8% or 16%, I think the Atsaya report said, relative to other needed investments in the grid for other, let's say, regular purposes. Okay, thank you. Maybe Jan, if you want to compliment and already give us with a second question, an idea about what on the distribution side has actually been done already to include EV charging, both on asset side and distributed resources. Okay, thank you, Anita. So just to introduce myself, my name is Jan Kula. Today I represent a task force for e-mobility in EDSO, which try to share the experience and knowledge among the members, among DSOs, among distribution system operators, mainly in the context of how to, to handle the impact of electric vehicles. To the first question, yeah. We always have to distinguish when connecting electric vehicles, but not only electric vehicles. We have also heat pumps nowadays and in the future electrolyzers. What is the needed power in one second, in one time, and what is the needed energy? 
The power, which is in this domain the main challenge for the DSO, is actually what is maintenancely needed in the one point of connection. Regarding the other, the energy needed for the whole year, that is mainly the task for governments and for the generation utilities. So they can produce enough energy in the whole year to charge all the, all the electric vehicles. And if you look at the at power and the charging stations, we talk about peak power. And the peak power in a single location, which is usually or could be usually in the remote locations like charging hubs by the highways and the power we are talking about is in megawatts. That is one side of the of challenge. And the other one is households. So households chargers, which are in the existing points of connections, but actually increasing the peak power of the household. And for example, from Dutch example, it could be up to five times higher than normal peak. So we in ETSO share our experience and predictions of future impact into the grid, and we see very, very similar results among the members. The results are shifted in years, depending on how many EVs are sold in uh, different countries and how many chargers are installed, actually. So there are huge differences between, for example, Netherlands and us in the Czech Republic. And the results itself are very similar. We need to invest into strengthen the grids and also As mentioned, we need to develop new solutions and new solutions in so-called smart charging. The second one, yeah, what developments have been done from distribution side to include EV charging infrastructure? Actually, in the member states, the solutions are different, mainly because there are different existing legislation in the countries and different number of cars, of course. The number of cars are mainly driven by incentives by now. This is why in ETSO we, we try to collect all those experiences and try to, let's say, then convert the best practices into the national level. They are both like organizational and technical means. In, in technical domain, we are talking about, as mentioned again, smart charging. And just to describe what we think about smart charging, we describe it as a concept of technically control of the available charging power in order to assure that EV charging complies with the required limits of the grid and also the customer electrical installation, which is also very, very important. And to continue on, on the concept, there are two main concepts, the static one and the dynamic one. If we talk about the static concept, that is time of use tariffs or something like radio or ripper control changing of, of the high and low tariffs in, uh, in, the, in the grid. So we, we can actually change the charging power of the car with high or low power or a low or higher price. That's the basics. But in the future, we see more of the dynamic smart charging solutions. We see some pilot projects. The basics on that is that uh, based on actual available capacity of the grid, the chargers receive some signal and change their charging power according to that. So that are the two basic principles. Because you mentioned digitalization before, Erin, the topic of smart meters and the lack of implementation of these or the long times of implementing them. Can you give us some ideas how this could be advanced faster? Well, I mean, I actually think smart meters is maybe more of a topic for, for Jan, and so maybe I'll defer to him on that. But uh, but just quickly, a few things he mentioned that I would like to make comments on. I mean, the first is the issue of network planning. Net distribution network operators are regulated entities, and they're regulated at the national level. Jan, please correct me if I say anything wrong, okay? And they're regulated by, you know, national regulators who set the priorities and, let's say, sort of the permission structure in which distribution operators are able to work. 
So right now, it's my understanding that where there is not a problem with capacity now, future capacity needs are very limited in terms of what they're able to plan and, and you know justify spending on additional generation needs or additional capacity needs for the future. And that's something that the national regulators really could take a look at like future anticipated EV load on the grid that, you know, distribution operators can then use in order to make their longer range network planning. Another thing is, you know, maybe just because decarbonization of transport and electricity are stated public priorities of the European Union, that could also be a factor that national regulators could look at and justify that their regulated entities are able to accept into their operations. Because right now they are required to be non-discriminatory in accepting grid connection requests and accept all of them that are possible. Uh, but maybe there is a way to prioritize, let's say, investments or measures which are moving towards decarbonization. On the issue of of smartness, you know the signals. Uh, I mean, this is a this is a central concept. And uh, actually, the regulatory assistance project put out an excellent report a few weeks ago, where they looked at all of the different use cases they could find of smart charging in different distribution networks. And it's an excellent report. Um, they have lots of examples of where it is case. But as Jan said, there are still many of them are in the initial phases, in the pilot phase, and we need to rapidly, rapidly scale those up in order. In order to meet the 2030 targets, in order to meet the climate imperative, in order to get, you know, kind of wean off of uh, Russian oil and in order to generate energy independence within our own countries. The, we need to go from pilot phase to scale market operation very, very quickly. So one of the big issues here is regulatory. In any number of member states, including the ones where we are, you're not able to dispense electricity back into the grid unless you're a registered electricity operator. This is a challenge that needs to be addressed. Whether there's islanded solutions where you can provide energy for your home, for your neighborhood, for your business. Uh, also, where are the signals coming from? They can come from the, from the distribution operator. They can come from the mobility service provider by virtue of the settings that the user gives, or they can come from the vehicle itself. All of these can be communication inputs into the system that determine how much vehicle is charging, uh, if the vehicle is plugged in but is in fact actually charging or not, um, if they wants to wait until the electricity becomes greener or until it becomes cheaper. So these are some of the more dynamic elements that Jan was talking about. Uh, but these are all things that are technically possible, although we do need to, let's say, improve, let's say, the, the communication between these different inputs between the vehicle, the mobility service provider and the distribution operator. And then, you know, business regulations and business models can be built and they already exist in places like the UK and other, again, examples in that RAP report where drivers or operators can be incentivized by generating revenue for the use of that access to provide flexibility services back to the grid. So smart charging, managed charging is a central concept when it comes to how do we mitigate the overall impact on the system and also not just mitigate, but where EVs and all of the batteries that are in all of these distributed vehicles all over the world and all over Europe can provide benefits back to the grid, local grid or the broader distribution grid. So is really, this is one of the central opportunities that e-mobility brings to the electricity system. And we just need to take all of these different say smaller tools, regulatory, technological, business, uh, financial and others, and put them together in order to maximize the benefits that e-mobility can bring. Right now it's still small, but it's going to be incredibly large, which also might save distribution operators on needing to invest more into generation. Maybe Jan, you want to say something? 
Yeah, actually, I totally agree. So, so I would go for Thursday for the for the smart metering, which is more on the ISO side. Actually, I think that smart meters itself are deployed in many countries of EU for more than a decade or even more. But there are still countries like Germany or the Czech Republic where it's still pending. But uh, we are on our way now. The way forward, I think, is definitely to keep that direction, so implement and roll out and upgrade the functionalities as fast as we as a DSO can to prevent the situation that once we install the smart meters into the grid, there is another use case which was not there before and we couldn't cover it. So we must take into account that the meters have to stay in the grid for at least 12 years. It depends country by country, but in average 12 years. And we believe that the new generations of, of the meters could serve well also for the flexibility services and actually across the energy business, including possibility of smart charging. So that's for the smart meters. We don't think that this is the obstacle. It could be one way how to better implement the smart charging use cases as, as a whole. Thank you. Aaron, you have just said quite a lot about the potential of flexibility, but do you want to go back here on your opinion on EV charging infrastructure and its ability to participate as a flexibility resource? Sure. How does it work? In general, you can have a vehicle that is plugged into a charging station and if there is no managed or controlled charging, then immediately that vehicle starts to recharge from the moment it is plugged in. However, that does not have to be the case. That vehicle could remain plugged in, but not actually consuming electricity based upon different parameters of control. So you could have a vehicle that a driver comes home, plugs in their vehicle, and then goes to sleep. And whether it's a private home or a public space, whatever, let's say a private home, and they, through their settings on their charging station or through their mobility service provider, if their charging station is managed by their MSP, they could say, I want to charge when the costs are the lowest, or I only need 80% of my battery to be filled by 7 a.m. when I drive my kids to school and then off to work, okay? Or I want to only charge when the system is greenest. Therefore, based upon these parameters, the vehicle does not need to be recharging the whole time it's plugged in. It could recharge from, you know, from midnight until 2 a.m. and then from 3 to 5 a.m. and have meet all of the requirements of the driver. That's one way that managed charging can take place. Another way is through load balancing, where a charging station, there is, let's say, a whole hub of charging stations of any power level here we could be talking about. And the charging stations know, based upon settings that the driver is given to MSP, that this car only needs to charge this much. This other vehicle needs to charge as quickly as possible, and the driver is prepared to pay for that. These other two vehicles, there are no specific settings, and so they will go with whatever the MSP or the CPO is able to, to offer in that location. Through the communications between the back end and the charging stations and the vehicle, all of these vehicles can be recharged to the amounts that they want or that their drivers need in the time that they have allocated. The load can be distributed based upon the different needs across many vehicles and across a broader time period. And also using other inputs like through business cases that incentivize drivers by either lowering the price or that even generate revenue in the case of you know, bi-directional charging, Drivers can say, okay, I, I only want to charge when there's a surplus renewable capacity. And they can be incentivized to do this because they are then receiving rewards for charging only when there's available capacity. These ideas, writ much larger, 
can provide a lot of benefits to the electricity system. There's less need for generation, less need for reinforcement, less need for big, expensive connections. Again, it's a, it's, it's a regulatory issue. It's a business case issue. It's a, not a technical issue, but it is an issue of needing to scale what we already know is technically working because it is, as Jan said, you know, more in its infancy. And we need to scale this up very quickly in order to meet the 2030 targets. Connected to this, my next question to Jan about like everything you just described also relies very much on data and DSOs have expressed fear about the data they will have to handle in the future with all these new services coming up. So how do you think developing here, Jan? Actually, this is the question where I can't speak for all my colleagues from different countries, so I just focus on our national solutions. Actually, the, the Directive 944 from 2019, which told us what to do in the topics of decentralization, development of renewables, flexibility aggregation, including independent aggregators, storage, and of course, the electric vehicles, energy communities, and etc. So in the Czech Republic, the DSOs and single TSO, which we have, we started to prepare a project or a so-called energy data hub which will cover all of those uh, use cases of course it's a big it project so it will take some time it is a challenge for all the parties included so of course ministry of industry and trade and energy regulatory office i won't go into the details which will be boring anyway but it is a topic for us sometimes it could be served by our current systems and processes but of course in the terms of electric vehicles smart charging vehicle to grid which on the ac side i mean the ac chargers and the standards for vehicle to grid are still developing it's not closed yet at this side of this challenge it will take us some time but we are preparing and we hope that at least in our country we will be prepared uh, soon enough I just add something from the CPO side here. For CPOs and mobility service provider, there's two really important bits of data that we need in order to do the smart charging. And this is access the vehicle, uh, sorry, the, the battery in the vehicle, the state of charge, and the, and the charging curve. This is a little bit controversial right now in policymaking. You know, whose data is it? What are the conditions under which this data is shared and things like this? And I know it's being taken up in Brussels on this idea of the European data space for transport or for mobility, but it's just an important point to mention. You know, in order to perform this managed charging, we need to have access to this data in some way. And actually, to complicate it more, <laughs> from DSO side, uh, what we see in the pilot projects mainly, the additional informations to include are the available capacity of the grid in the time that we want to reserve it. And uh, also this needs to be in the location. So it's not like virtually somewhere in the grid, but it needs to be in the same feeder, in the same point of connection and above the secondary substation, which is the, the, the building or the box that uh, people can see on the streets or on the poles. And this is uh, very, very important for us because if the aggregators or the parties which will make the, the flexibility market for EVs and for other flexibility sources, if they don't include uh, those technical informations from the grid, it may overload us in some cases and it may make us uh, some, some issues. So this is very important for us to cooperate in this and cooperate in all. The concept of net booster or fast charging stations is another one that we keep on hearing often when it comes to the topic of EV developments. 
According to you, Jan, what is the impact of them on the grid and how to respond to this? It was mentioned in the beginning by Aaron that the, the time needed to implement the big charging hubs because of the big charging power is crucial. We believe that the cooperation is the main point. So there are European incentives such as CEF or the others, so Connecting Europe Facility and, and others. Also national programs that dedicate budget and set the required numbers and installed power of, of the stations by the highways, by big, big streets and, and everything. So crucial point is to find suitable points of connection when, when the connection request is, is set. In many cases, the grid cannot handle such a big power, required power, and needs to be up upgraded. And that takes, of course, some time. So we are not talking about smart charging anymore because those charging hubs needs to have this power simultaneously for all the drivers in one time and the maximum power. This is not smart charging, let's say, issue. So our long-term proposal is to really cooperate with all the parties and CPOs and discuss where are the wished locations. And if those wished locations are not suitable in one place, then to propose suitable ones. So also show or see the both sides of the cards. So at one hand, where CPOs want to build and where DSOs are able to build in uh, in the same time if not we need to build the grid we need to upgrade it and that of course takes some time because the legislation or the building process is the same for everybody if we need to build the line it's even worse than for cpos to build the station because the line cross many many areas and many many land owners and this takes a long time in every every countries can i just compliment what jan said i mean let me start where you ended all of these issues, these challenges, these things that take a long time, you know, building out the line, getting permissions from the other landowners whose land it might have to run through, public authority permissions and things like that. The amount of time this takes, the complexity it takes across different distributor operators in different member states is exactly what this letter from Charge Up Europe and 21 CPOs that was published this morning is about. How do we address these issues, because it's many issues that are part of the overall process from the moment of grid connection request, even before where you're trying to, as a CPO, find out where is their capacity even that I can connect up to all the way until a charging point is activated is a huge, huge problem and has taken up to three years in some cases. So you can imagine how this is a real challenge to the rapid rollout of charging infrastructure. So I'm glad Jan, Jan mentioned this and it's exactly where CPOs and DSOs and national regulators and other policymakers need to work together and it's really great to hear Jan saying that they are already in Czech Republic and I know of other examples where that's happening as well as sort of an organized coordinated planning process because I mean now you have a fear targets every 60 kilometers every 100 kilometers for both LDV and then also for HDV the fear targets are at a minimum of 800 kilowatts per location for HDV but we already know and the amount of time it takes to build we're looking at one megawatt four megawatt 10 megawatt locations on the highway for, for heavy-duty vehicles, which are coming, which are already on the market, and we very much see you know, an electric HDV future as well. So we need to be planning for that already now because it will take years to build out the required tools, the required lines, and the amount of power to make it possible. So 
we as CPOs know where we see the challenges. I'm sure DSOs, you know, have their own challenges. Plus, again, everything beyond just mobility, but electrification of the whole economy and all of our heating and cooling as well. And it's great. We we need to sit together and work together to say, here's where we would like to build from a transport perspective. Where do you have capacity? How do we align those? And then how do we roll this out together, what we need now and what is absolutely going to be needed in the future? And then how can we do it in a way that saves money, that allows us all to be efficient, to maximize the efficiencies we can find? And then finally, I'll just say, you know, we're going to need big plots of land in order to do this, especially for heavy duty vehicles, safe and secure parking sites. It might not be right along the 10 T roadways. It might have to be five kilometers away or 10 in order to find that biggest spot of land you know, that we can build that like that without destroying the environment or protected areas. And then we're going to also need flexible solutions as well. So auxiliary battery storage uh, connected to charging infrastructure. As Greenway, we already operate 12 locations like that, but we're going to need it at a much, much bigger scale than we currently have. And of course, you know, renewable energy generation directly connected to storage, directly connected to charging as well. Those 12 locations I mentioned, some of them have, have generation as well, but, but we're just going to need a lot more of that, a lot more of these flexible solutions in addition to the coordinated planning so that we're doing it as, as good as we can. Because, I mean, there is a time imperative here as well. We're trying to do all of this quickly. Europe is talking the Repower EU project to integrate as much renewable generation capacity as possible. And e-mobility can really help with that a lot. Those vehicles can store a lot of that renewable energy that is generated. Working together is really the only way forward. And I would just say it's, it's a huge, huge priority for us as CPOs. Because you actually now uh, already answered to one of my uh, coming questions, so <laughs> we'll not go back to that. Well, I guess, like I said, we need to find efficiencies, and Jan already started talking about it. So no, it's perfect, continue. it's perfect. <laughs> great, great. I just wanted to point out, cooperation is key, and you explained just why. So maybe another question to you, Aaron and trends that are developing in the e-mobility sector. Are there any that you would like to point out? Yeah, sure. So we already talked about heavy-duty vehicles. Heavy-duty vehicles is one, let's call it a trend. We're already, I mean, AFIR, Alternative Fuels Infrastructure Regulation, has mandatory targets for minimum power levels and distance between locations for heavy-duty vehicles. We already see heavy-duty vehicles on the market. Now it's more short range, mid range vehicles, but already we see the longer range heavy duty vehicles coming. There's the, the Milens company to build out 1700 dedicated HDV charging locations across Europe. And the, they're doing that because they're the manufacturers of those vehicles and they see the market already developing and they want to be building out dedicated sites so that their clients buy the vehicles and have confirmed locations to use them in. HDVs and then the amount of power that is needed for HDVs, as we've already discussed, and the physical locations where those HDVs can recharge uh, in order to make long-range trips. And by the way, it's an especially important issue for countries of Central and Eastern Europe, where most of the heavy-duty vehicle fleet of Europe is actually based. And so we have a really great incentive in making that work. So that's, I think, one, one trend. Then there's, of course, megawatt charging standard as well, which is connected to it. So everything around the charging of heavy-duty vehicles is one trend. I think the other is just generally higher powered needs for light duty vehicles. The vehicles are coming to the market can handle more power. Two years ago, the standard for, a, let's say, a, high, a fast charger or a normal charger in the parlance of, of the EU was 50 kilowatts. 
But now at a minimum, we're installing 100, 110 kilowatts as the minimum. And so charging hubs, even if they have a mix of AC and DC, are still going to need higher power even at that location. Even again, we can through managed charging, through energy management, we can distribute that power differently. But I think there's just a trend for higher power charging needs. Um, and then last thing I would say would be plug and charge. There's the idea that a vehicle can show up, the driver can already preset which mobility service provider they want to use. They show up at a charging station, they plug their vehicle in, and because of communication between the MSP, the charging station, and the vehicle, the authentication, and then that charging happens automatically. Those protocols are in development. ISO 1511-8-20 is under development right now. This is, I think, another important trend to mention. And I think drivers all around Europe want to plug and charge. And as mobility service providers and CPOs, we'll need to figure out ways to provide them, provide them these services. Great, thank you. There's a lot yeah. around that too, by the way. I would just say around the governance of that and how it's implemented and making sure that it's really driver-centric. Sorry to interrupt. All of these things are what uh, what is being worked on and discussed right now. Jan, you want to add something here before my last wrapping up question? Yep, well, uh, I wanted to point out at least one other thing, because if we are looking at the trends and how to, to help all the e-mobility markets to grow, in our case, at least in the countries around us, the main portion of the new cars sold are into the fleets, into companies and enterprises. So if we want to boost it in the cases where it's not boosted yet, which is the case, for example, of the Czech Republic, we think that we need to help and provide experience and expertise to municipalities, to communities, to small enterprises, towns, etc. Because if there is a first-hand market, I would say, so new cars, there is also second-hand market. And in most of the countries, a lot of countries, cars for private people, private drivers are second-hand. And if there is enough second-hand cars, there also will be the demand of the drivers to have chargers in the streets and to have it settled and prepared. And also, if I come back to the Czech side we have more than half of the inhabitants living in apartments in block of flats and if we don't have solutions for the parking lots around those apartment buildings there we have troubles so cpos are focusing a lot on the highway on high power on charging hubs etc but Coming back to smart charging and coming back to slow charging and slow charging at parking lots, that needs to be uh, settled, that needs to be done. And if we have enough sockets for the cars to charge in the night, then we are secured. So secondhand market and charging the parking lots, that's what I wanted to point out. And both are also challenges for us as for the SOs because we have to connect them all. Okay. Can I compliment one thing Jan Please. said? I completely agree. Those are such good points. And really, you know, on the second one of charging infrastructure for multifamily homes, the broader issue is that e-mobility is moving from the early adopters and the pioneers to becoming a mainstream transport solution. And that is the public policy imperative. And you see it in the vehicle numbers that are growing hundredfold every year. So how do we provide charging for now different users? I mean, depots is a super, is almost easy one, but they're a fantastic use case. Um, but the multifamily home situation is very challenging for everyone. And that's why looking at the energy performance of buildings directive and some of the claims made there about how to integrate EV charging into buildings, the, the uh, minimum 
minimum requirements for ducting and cabling and pre-ducting and pre-cabling for new buildings, yes, of course, but also for existing buildings, ensuring the right to plug so that people can request a charging station in their building and not have to get 100% of their, let's say, tenants association to vote for it is are, are really important things in order to say address the first mover problem and also to lower the even non-financial barriers towards someone who wants to go electric being able to do so. So energy performance of buildings directive is, is really important in this regard, and it's still being debated in Parliament, something that people should, should look at if they're not familiar with it already, because it's kind of moving in the wrong direction a little bit. So to wrap it up, just in your view, and Jan, maybe you want to go first, what are the biggest challenges we need to overcome to progress in e-mobility across Europe? And to put it into perspective, what do you think the market looks like after 2050? And yeah, what do we need to get there? Yeah, so two sides of the question. First one, uh, the challenges. I look at it as before 24th September this year and after. After 24th September of this year, we need to look also at the at the energy, energy needed across EU, uh, and that will be a crucial point. So if we build a significant number of new zero emission power plants and also, on the other hand, fulfill energy efficiency goals, Uh, and also uh, be able to produce uh, EVs much cheaper than now and, and stabilize higher investments into the grids, the market will be, I would say, uh, okay and then uh, EVs will grow. That's that's uh, one part of it. So so energy itself needed to uh, to charge all the all the cars, all the EVs with zero emission power plants. That will be that will be one of the challenge. And and about the future, if I personally look at it and then um, also uh, uh, I've read uh, many, many predictions. So they say that uh, in, in 2050 uh, and hydrogen and also zero emission synthetic fuels will, will play their role still or they will start and still will, will be playing their role in 2050 also in heavy uh, duty in in shipping and air transport that's that's what uh, those predictions say but light vehicles will be electrified completely uh, i i suppose that that's uh, that's pretty sure uh, but on the other hand also uh, car sharing and then so-called micro mobility will decrease the overall numbers of vehicles in the streets and that is in my eyes, also one of the main points how to how to help uh, the climate even more. So not only electrifying, but also decreasing the overall number of, of the vehicles in the streets. So both sides of, of one coin. Naren, challenges and future looking. I mean, that's hard to, to compliment what Jan said. I agree <laughs> with yeah, everything he said. It's a really nice vision. And especially, you know, we feel the need, like you said, Yeah, I took a bus to work today. So also the use of transit, you know, is a really important way to reduce people's need to have their own vehicle and just drive around. I tried to take trains, you know, whenever I go, at least between capital cities, if not other places where it's possible. I think he said it. The passenger car fleet by 2050 will be fully electrified. Yeah, okay, there will be legacy, you know, personal family cars that are still combustion engine that people like to tinker on and work with because they enjoy the engineering part of it and keep going on their own, of course. But the vast majority, certainly all, all the vehicle sales, fleets of all kinds of sizes will be completely electrified and it will be 
completely standard. It will be the new normal. Like my children should not ever be driving, a, buying or renting a combustion engine vehicle in their lifetime. That I think is, is clear. Heavy duty vehicles, even long range HDVs being as electrified or in some cases, maybe hydrogen, but largely electric would also be the new norm. And maybe even by then we'll have electric airplanes for medium range flights because there's still great value in being able to travel and see people in other parts of the world even if we do it less 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 frequently. Uh, look, the user experience should be relatively seamless. I think that's also very important. We're still at early days of e-mobility, sadly. I mean, the need to scale quickly, uh, rapidly is upon us, but we're still actually at relatively early days, and especially in the case of, let's say, the mainstream driving public. My mother-in-law, you know, is petrified, even though I work in the industry and she's been in many electric vehicles, still the idea of it being her main car scares her for, for no real clear reasons, just because it's new and different, yeah? We need to address this. We need to make people feel comfortable. It needs to be reliable and smooth. And, you know, also people need to, I think, adopt their habits a little and patterns a little bit, like the expectation that we stop, refill a car in five minutes, which doesn't ever really take five minutes anyway, is not really the case. Rather, you know, you stop, you stop for a half hour, you go for a walk, you have a, a snack, and by then your car is fully recharged. Things like that need to be more of the expectations. And also we don't refill 100% of the time everywhere we go. And it's also that it's a smooth experience too. You reliably have one service and that, that will get you throughout Europe. We don't have to have six different cards in order to travel properly. Things like this, that the system needs to come together to support and, and will come together. We will have just entered another phase of maturity where already the oil and gas refueling system is there and e-mobility needs to just get to that point. And I would just say, finally, it is a fully integrated part of a electrified economy. I mean, again, we talk a lot about transport because that's the topic of this podcast, but heat pumps, air conditioners, uh, decarbonized generation, as Jan was saying, these things need to be fully integrated and work together. So all of the things we were saying about smart charging before, by 2050, these will be at a much greater level of maturity. Business cases will enable that and support that. Maybe even the roles of our different companies when, and organizations will look totally different once we're that much more integrated and energy independent. Yeah, let's see what the future brings or holds for us. I thank you very much. I think we covered a lot in our discussion. We will leave it here for today. And they also thank you to our listeners and hope you tune in for our next episode. Have a good day. Bye bye. Likewise. Bye. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Anita. Bye bye. Bye.